Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Glad Tidings, the Athletics Everton podcast. I'm Paddy Boyland and in the absence of my fellow Everton correspondent on the site, Greg O'Keefe, we're going to do something a little bit different again this week. On Twitter earlier, I asked for listeners' questions and I'm delighted to be joined by our podcast producer, Tom, who will shoot those questions at me. He's picked the best and will shoot those, fire those questions away at me over the next half an hour or so. Right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a week, read all of our articles on Everton and so much more. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod. That's theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod. Hi, Tom. Thanks for joining me. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Um, I think uh, before we get to the questions, just want to make it clear, I'm very much here to facilitate your insight. I won't be offering any uh, ill-informed Everton opinion so if people are worried about that uh, please stay listening but um, the Moise Keane article uh, that you put out on Saturday yep it's really good and offers a real insight into a player who seems to have found a real home in Paris yeah he, he really really has I think it's five goals now in in seven games as I, as I wrote in the article and he's just had a new lease of life the, the pleasing thing from an Everton perspective is that they've, at the moment at least, got a revitalised player on their hands rather than somebody that, if we're being honest, would have started the season warming the bench behind Dominic Calvert-Lewin. don't think the plan necessarily was for him to go out on loan, Keane, but he wanted extra game time and PSG afforded him that opportunity. The goals have come not just against Dijon and relative minnows in, in French football, sides that probably aren't Premier League quality, if, we, if we're being honest, but also against Champions League opposition. I was really, really excited by his performance against Leipzig in the Champions League, where he gave Dio Apamecano, the, the highly rated Leipzig defender, a really torrid time running the channels and sizing them up one-on-one. There's this, there's this amazing clip. I think I think it's in the article. I'll have to <laughs> I'll have to go back and check. There's this amazing clip where he picks up the ball, squares up Upamecano, whose balance has kind of shifted off kilter, and he's stumbling backwards. The defender and Keane takes another touch and moves the ball to a different kind of a different foot, and Upamecano then goes sprawling back onto the turf, and that was kind of symbolic. I think of. The, the swagger about Moise Keane since he arrived in Paris, it's not only been the goals, but I think his link-up play, which didn't always impress at Everton, has, has just improved dramatically as, as confidence has grown. And I guess the interest, interesting question then, just to throw it forward even further, is we're already hearing noises that, that PSG like what they see and the sporting director, Leonardo, who has been tracking the player for, for, for some time, he's 
one of the ones that is thinking quite seriously about whether they can keep him in Paris at the Parc des Princes. So it's going to be it's going to be really really interesting to see what happens. Um, Keane, Keane obviously wanted to go to PSG. He didn't want to stay at Everton and be a bit part player, as he probably would have been at the start. There's no formal purchase option, so they're going to have to negotiate and negotiate well with Everton if they want to keep him. And let's not forget, Everton paid upwards of £25 million pounds to, to sign Moise Keane. That if he continues at this scoring rate, his, his transfer value is only going to continue to soar. So... It's going to be interesting to see if PSG can do that kind of deal, whether, although they are a what we would consider to be a cash-rich club, whether in these kind of pretty uncertain times financially with COVID, whether they're able to stump up that kind of money. They certainly weren't in, in negotiations over the summer. So I think there's, there's a, an interesting shifting and often changing dynamic at work here. All we can say is that Everton... Will at the very least, you would imagine, get a revitalised player back. If not, they will make their money and more, uh, given how well he has done there over the last couple of months. Yeah, I was reading in the comments under the piece, it seemed like most Everton fans are resigned to him leaving and probably not coming back however well he does in Paris. Is that is that pretty fair? I think Everton fans are, and that's not necessarily, I have to be honest, that's not necessarily what Carlo Ancelotti would say, and what, not necessarily what Carlo Ancelotti would tell you. He was quite insistent early on during the summer transfer market that Keane would be going nowhere. And it was only very, very late in the day that that rhetoric changed and that it became, if Moyes Keane wants to leave, then maybe we look at a loan and maybe he would have to push for that to, to happen. Obviously, those things actually did happen. And now we're in a situation where Keane left an environment in which I don't think he was 100% settled at Everton, but he definitely is 100% settled in, in Paris. Mm. He's, a, he's a French speaker. He obviously is he's, he's native Italian too. So he, he gets on with people like Verratti, Italian speakers in the dressing room. But he can also speak to the sizable Parisian and French contingent, as you, as you'd expect from a Ligue 1 club. One of the issues at Everton was that he didn't always look as though he was a settled player, that he didn't always impress in training. And that, that's a big thing for Ancelotti. You have to stake a claim. But he's still obviously a talented player. He's still somebody that Marcel Brands, the director of football, has, has invested an awful lot of time and attention into. Ancelotti himself as well. And, and Ancelotti actually wanted the player when he was at Napoli, made inquiries and, and showed an interest in him there. So... There's an interesting dy- dynamic at work here. I don't necessarily think Everton fans should be resigned to him leaving because I think there is still a discussion to be had as to what happens. What you have to think at the moment, though, is that given how happy Keane is at PSG and how he struggled for game time at Everton, you would have to assume that he would want that to continue, that kind of trajectory, that upward curve to, to continue. So... It's going to make things, um, let's say, a little bit more difficult over the summer if Everton do it, attempt to keep him. Yeah, it's an interesting situation and definitely worth reading that piece if you haven't already on The Athletic. Um, On to the questions you tweeted out this morning. The first one is from Danny EFC. He says, is the club looking at bringing in any new faces in January? Usually with Marcel Brands in particular, there's, there's a, a school of thought that January is not the time to do business, certainly not the best time to do business. Go back to last January and the January before. 
and Everton didn't do much, if if, if anything, in, in truth. So this time around, you, you would almost expect a continuation of that. I think what, what slightly changes the dial somewhat is that they know they are short in a number of positions. They, they looked at right back over the summer uh, with a view to what they could do, but that would have been dependent on John Joe Kenny leaving. There's still an idea that there probably needs to be somebody long-term to take over the mantle from Seamus Coleman, who's, who's obviously been a fantastic servant, but is now into his 30s. Kenny's not convincing, so maybe not a right-back in January, but there is an eye on right-back in the short, mid and long-term. They also know that at centre-forward, because Moise Keane left late in the window, and they were happy to sanction that, they're not overly flowing with options there. You've, you've got Calvert-Lewin. I think Richarlison's probably the second choice if something were to happen to Calvert-Lewin. And then you've got Jenk Tosin and, and the young under-23 striker, Ellis Sims. Not flush with, with depth or or too much quality there at the moment, given that Sims is, is very much still a work in progress. So they might have a look at, at striker, at the, at the striker positions and see what they can do there. I think there's also a slight concern around the wings. You look at Walcott going out and maybe a lack of pace in wide areas that that we've seen kind of come to the forefront without Richarlison, unfortunately, over the last few weeks. And there's still a, a consideration there as to what can be done. I don't think it's going to be monumental by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think it's going to be a big spending window more or less across the board, but I do think we will see loan deals and I do think we'll see kind of more interesting, innovative deals, like I say, across the board. And, and I'd expect Everton to some extent to be part of that if the right opportunity materialises. On a wider point, they spent, the club spent 20 million plus on what, four players in the summer? Is there is the money there to invest again if they if Ancelotti decides he wants to? That, that that's a really interesting one, and I think it's best summarised by the pursuit of a centre half. And first of all, it was all in for Gabriel from from Lille, who, who obviously went to to Arsenal. They thought they had him before lockdown, um, and then things changed slightly um, with asking price and, and stuff like that. So they walked away from the table quite content with. Their options, and let's not forget they they've got Michael Keane, Mason Holgate, Jared Branthwaite's come through, and and looks a really good find, slightly lower down the club, um, and Yerry Mina too. So there were, there were four options there, and Everton kind of were going to wait and see how things went at, at centre back. What changed things was Holgate getting injured in pre season against Preston, and the the longevity and seriousness of the injury, severity of the injury. So they kind of went back to the, the the drawing board there, looked at options, and all indications were at first that preferably this would be a loan, but Ben Godfrey had been a bit of a long-term target for, for Marcel Brand to play that he's liked for a while now. And that opportunity materialised, and Everton did just about have the budget to push that one through. So... We we know that there still needs to be an emphasis on reducing numbers in the squad. We know that there are players they want to get rid of. Those names are pretty well documented by this stage. Mm. It's Mo Besic, Yannick Balassi, Matty Pennington. Um, there are a host of under-23 players that would be available. Um, and while there was some positive work done over the summer, looking at getting the likes of Sandro Ramirez off the books, I think there still needs to be more 
still need to be more done. Everton still have a very big first team squad when you when you take into account players who drop down to play under twenty threes games at times. Um and, and that does need to, to be cut slightly. The the salary, the the wage bill needs to be um managed. It needs to be a, a little bit more sustainable in the long term. So I wouldn't rule out Everton doing business, but they are going to have to focus not only on incomings, but also outgoings too. And I think that that will be a big part of the strategy, not just in January, but but over the summer and in future windows too. Yeah, that goes into another question we've had in from uh, Matthew Berry, who says, do you think the club will look to move Sigurdsson and Bernard in January? They've, they've played a fair bit though, haven't they? So it'd be unlikely if they left. Yeah, they've, they have played a fair bit and... To some extent, that's because injuries and suspensions have kind of forced Ancelotti's hand. Richarlison being out for three games as he was has had a knock-on effect with Bernard, who, who obviously started and did pretty well by all accounts against Manchester United. I thought he was good and one of Everton's better players that day. But the, the interesting thing here is that actually Bernard was one of the players that I think potentially they could have or they certainly were looking to shift. Over the summer, there was a bit of talk about Roma. They were looking around at what they could what they could do there. He's just like, he's a good player. He's, I, I think at times he can be a very good player on his day. He's a good player, but maybe just lacks that little bit of consistency, that little bit of extra physicality that sometimes you need in the Premier League. And when he came in, because he was a free agent, he was able to command a very, very decent salary and become one of Everton's top earners. He's, he's still one of Everton's top earners to this day, but not a regular starter. So it puts Everton in a bit of a situation there where they, do, do you, is that cost effective? Do, do you want to have a player on the periphery, if you can call it that, as one of the, the, the squad's top earners? What does that do then if, not Richarlison, because he signed a new deal recently, but what happens if James Rodriguez asks for a new deal or, or Luca Dean? Wants a new deal. What what do you give them? Because they should be looking upwards. If it, if this is a meritocracy, at what Bernard is on. So I, I still think he maybe at the moment he's he's going to be important. Everton need to use all players in their squad, but I wouldn't put it past Everton looking to try and move him again, or at least being open to options. Sigurdsson's a slightly different kettle of fish. I think there were the reports, and certainly we reported this ourselves, interest from, from the States, interest from the Middle East. Again, quite a decent earner, not quite as substantially as Bernard, but a decent earner at Everton and not a regular starter. He's got a couple of years left on his deal, so if, if they're going to cash in, they, they need to do it soon. If they're going to protect his uh, sale value and get, get the most out of him that they can... Um, so the, these players that aren't guaranteed first-teamers play occasionally but aren't essential to Ancelotti's plans. I think are the ones that if, if good offers come in, even if they don't openly tout them, if good offers come in, they wouldn't be averse to selling one or two. They might not sell them all, by the way, and this is why it's pretty fluid. I don't think you would want to after after losing Walcott and Moise Kane and in the summer, I don't think you would want Sigurdsson and Bernard to both go without there being some element of um, additions, some some improvements to the squad. So that's where the situation becomes fluid. But yes, they will actively look to cut that wage bill and to cut the numbers as well, because then that just opens up 
training places and squad places for for promising youngsters who need that experience. Mm. Well, moving off from transfers for a little bit, if um, if we look at the the current starting lineup, there's a question here from from Jay Evans who says, "Is it time to try Godfrey in the holding midfield position to get the best out of Allen and Decore?" We get we get asked this one quite a lot because he's it, played um, in midfield previously, hasn't he? Sort of lower down the leagues. He has, but very much lower down the league. So you're looking at York City when they were in the the, the the kind of the lower reaches of the football league. You're also looking at Shrewsbury in the year they did very well. And he performed that role admirably. That was his, his favourite position until he arrived, pitched up at Norwich and Daniel Farker wanted to turn him into some version of Rio Ferdinand, a, a ball-playing centre-back. The irony there, of course, is that Ferdinand is now a mentor for Godfrey, Mason Holgate and Michael Keane with the new new era agency that they're all contracted to. And he kind of looks through clips from those three and offers them pointers on a, well, let's say, a semi-regular basis. Everton fans are, Everton fans are really interested in, in this one at the moment because I think everybody's looking at solutions to the midfield and the fact that the midfield's looked a little bit more porous recently than it did at the start of the campaign. Those solutions can come, well, they have to come internally until January. So there are options there with people like Fabian Delph, if he gets himself fit again, Tom Davis, even others slightly lower down the club. Can one of them put the hand up and stake a claim uh, until Jean-Philippe Cabamin gets back to full fitness? I I think that remains to be seen. But then also you've got Another situation in which you maybe look to do something slightly different and you look to move a Mason Holgate or a Ben Godfrey from centre-back because Everton have got lots of options there and moved them into midfield. I have to be honest, though, I'm less, I'm slightly less convinced on this one of the merits of doing that than, than others, purely because, first of all, Godfrey played the position lower down and doesn't have much Premier League experience there. Second, you've just brought a lad in as a centre-back, first and foremost, to learn his trade and put some of the lads in that position under a, a lot of pressure. And Everton have issues at centre-back as well and, and have done for, for the last few weeks. He may well be needed there uh, between now and the end of the season. So even as a short-term fix, it, it kind of feels like a, a square peg in a round hole for me. Even Mason Holgate, I think, would be the same. I'd, I'd be looking at the options they've already got or I'd be looking to do something even more bold and even more pr- pragmatic and probably shift the formation slightly, go go to a different system, a different setup, get an extra body in there, or even switch James's position so that he's got less def- defensive responsibility. And that means that somebody like Ducore, who's having to put in so much graft on that right-hand side to cover for James, he can focus on what he does really well, which is breaking up play and motoring forward with the ball. I, th- I think kind of Hammers and the role Hammers is playing at the moment limits Ducore. I think the knock-on is it means that Alan has to go charging around the pitch, looking to win the ball and put out fires. If you solve some of those big picture issues, you probably have a much better, much kind of more solid midfield rather than, I think, putting those square pegs in round holes. So, so some people will be screaming at this, Tom. Some people will be screaming <laughs> at this. No, Ben Goffrey's the answer, or Mason Holgate's the answer, which is another one that I've heard. 
I just don't see it to the same extent. I, I, I would rather, what what is the point in a in a Tom Davis or a Fabian Delph or even a Gabamin when he's fit being at the club if they are not the answer right now? It's where Ancelotti and those players need to earn their corn because something's not quite right with the Everton system and with the personnel at the moment. And Ancelotti had the international break to try and resolve that. We'll, we'll see how successful it is against Fulham on Sunday. What would you guess he'll go with in that midfield then on, on Sunday? I, I actually, there's not much evidence in Ancelotti's career of him ever really reinventing the wheel or changing tack that dramatically. So, I mean... I think predictions are a bit of a fool's game at time and sometimes you end up with egg on your face. I'm saying all of this with that in mind, but I think what's most likely is Richarlison comes back in, provided he's fit. He comes back in from suspension on the left. We actually see something that reverts more back to the first four to five games where you maybe have Andre Gomez as the third central midfielder and, and James plays, still plays on the right but looks to come inside. A little bit. The dilemma for Ancelotti is that we're still waiting to hear on Seamus Coleman's fitness, and there's a difficulty in replicating that system without Seamus. So, whatever he goes for, there's going to be an issue or two. What he will hope is that Gomez comes back revitalized after a bit of a drop off after the Merseyside derby, and that Richarlison's presence, the return of the talisman in attack, kind of raises Everton's game by 5-10% and it's the difference between defeats and draws and draws and victories. Certainly you, you would hope that's the case this week weekend against a Fulham side that isn't in the best form itself. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Another um, question here from one of our subscribers uh, on the app, Chatanya K, who um, responded to your article on the women's game last night. Bit of an open-ended question. Can you talk about the women's game? <laughs> I mean, I would love to talk about the women's game because I was at Walton Hall Park on, on Wednesday night for Everton against Liverpool a Merseyside derby in the Continental Cup. And it, it was a must-win game for Everton and an opportunity for Liverpool, who who play in the division below, to claim local bragging rights too. But it was just, it, it was it was really cold, really, really <laughs> cold. So, so much so that I took to Twitter to have what is probably a fairly regular moan, um, as, I, as I like to do on social media from time to time, about how cold it was and a bit of a swirling wind. So, so not the easiest conditions at Walton Hall Park for the game, but I thought it was a, I thought it was a fantastic game of football, and it was it was obviously available to supporters pretty easily available to supporters via Everton's YouTube channel. Liverpool broadcast it on theirs, I think, as well. Really good game of football. Liverpool are a Championship side, so second tier, but still have. England internationals and, and internationals from other clubs, Ireland and other nations, I should say, and gave Everton, they, they, they gave Everton a bit of a game, but quality told. It was good to see Everton win a derby. They just don't win enough derbies mm. across all aspects of the club, as fans will, will know all too well. They are dominant in the city at the moment, in the women's game, a division above, 
competing for the top four, getting to the latter stages of cup competitions. The win highlighted that. It was the symbol of that. But I think for Everton, the, the, the kind of the big picture is just how much progress has been made. I, I kind of noticed the article on the fact that six years ago in 2014, Liverpool were champions of the Women's Super League and Everton had been relegated. Now, if you look at what's happened now in, in that six year, five years as it was when it actually happened in that five year period, Liverpool have gone from being champions to the championship and Everton have gone from being relegated to coming back up and having a side packed full now of, of quality international players. And there's been a, certainly in my opinion, since I started this job, which was what, August 2019, if memory serves, this being a really strong focus from the Everton hierarchy on the women's team. They've ploughed extra resources, increasing resources into the into the side. They appointed a top manager in Willie Kirk, who's doing great things on the, on the training ground and translating it into games. And the direction of travel is a really positive one. Very quickly, they usurped Liverpool, who were heading in the other direction. But, I mean, they reached the, the FA Cup final, as, as we as we wrote about, obviously, extensively so far this season. They reached the FA Cup final, only to lose an extra time to, to Manchester City. They're a, they're a good side to watch. Um, unfortunately, supporters can't see them in the flesh at the moment, but they're a good side to watch. They play with real verve and intent. There's pace. They attack through the wings. There's width. Um, and dare I say it, just a, a rare shining light <laughs> at a moment in time when I think Everton fans, certainly on the on the men's side, are a little bit grumpy about what they've seen of late. Victory, any derby victory, I think, just changes a bit of the feel around the club, around the place. And that's what Wednesday night will, will hopefully do. But it was a great game, a great advert for the women's game, but also a great advert for, for Merseyside football. The women's game in Merseyside. I thought, I thought I thought it was really really good. So yeah, more than happy to talk about that, um, and, and and we'll continue to do so. Getting on to the final question from uh, this one's from Michael Potter. He might be getting a bit ahead of himself here, but he <laughs> says, um, if Carlo wins a trophy, where will he rate among the great Everton managers? Now I guess bear in mind there is a League Cup quarter final next month. Um, there is, yeah, on the twenty third of December as well, which. Is another thing that I had a moan about because <laughs> I don't I don't know why the game Everton, Everton are playing on I think it's the nineteenth, twenty third, twenty sixth, twenty eighth, and second of January, and while most people will think to themselves that's great I can watch all these games over the festive period mm. when I'm largely off work. I'm thinking, how do I have a festive period with all, <laughs> with, with all these games? Well, well, I, well, I won't. I won't. Um, that's the <laughs> that's the unfortunate truth of that um, that very congested fixture list. But I, it is one to look forward to. If all jokes aside, that game against Manchester United in the in the Carabao Cup quarterfinal. Do you think Carlo will be fielding full strength team despite all those other games at that point? Yeah, I think that will be a priority. Right. One of the priorities. I don't think any more so than the Premier League, by the way. But he's taken the Carabao Cup seriously and, and spoken this season of, of wanting to win silverware. So that is a target along with the return to European competition. They will need to rotate during that festive period. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I, I talk about fatigue for a journalist covering all those games. <laughs> Can you imagine what it's like yeah. for players and travelling around the country playing game after game in such a short space of time. So he will need to rotate and use the squad 
then more than ever, really. But I would expect a strong Everton side and I would expect an Everton side that's going out kind of big guns to to win something. So I, I like the question. I know you. <laughs> uh, I know from your tone that you you're not sure about Everton's aspirations of well of, of winning silverware. But I like the question. I like that kind of blue sky thinking. And actually, it's mirrored by Ancelotti because if you look at his aims and 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 his hopes and dreams, he's always talking about winning things and getting Everton back into Europe, not just the Europa League, I should say as well, but the Champions League. So he he sees this as important and he wants to talk up Everton's aims and ambitions. Um, so yeah, I'm more, more than happy to, <laughs> to be talking about Everton. So, so better than... where will he rate among the greats then? Right, so if he, if he wins a trophy, he's not going to be ahead of Howard Kendall because I think Howard Kendall rightfully the manager from the 80s is Everton's greatest ever manager to date. Joe Royal's an interesting one, obviously won the FA Cup in 1995. This would be as much of an achievement, if not more so, given the relative disparity in resources between Everton and some of kind of the moneyed elite. Everton obviously have a, a lot of money themselves, but their purchasing power is not quite at a Manchester City level or a, or a Chelsea or even a Liverpool as, as we well know. So this, this would be a really bold achievement. I think Howard Kendall would, whatever happens, and maybe barring uh, a league title win for, for Ancelotti's Everton, he, he, would, he would stay and rightfully remain at the top of that leaderboard, if you want to call it that. Harry Catrick, the manager from the 60s, would take some dislodging in second, if we're talking about the post-war era. But certainly Ancelotti would be in and around Joe Royal, maybe even slightly ahead uh, it would be a massive achievement. Um, but like I say, I think you've got to have that aim. You've got to aim to win things. Otherwise, what on earth is the point? And what on earth is the <laughs> point of Everton Football Club if they're not trying to be successful at the top, top level? What we've got now, I think, whereas before managers were looking to downplay and manage expectations, Ancelotti will not do that. There will be realism, but he will aim for the very top. And I think that's what Everton have needed for a long time. They've needed somebody that can not only aim for there but also you would hope execute it given his track record so before that um game against united in december we've got fulham uh away on sunday how do you see that game going <sighs> you would hope a victory everton really have to be winning it winning this game and getting back on track a, a draw would still be disappointing in the grand scheme of things mm. given the results just before the international break I don't think it's a particularly easy game though. Fulham are obviously not in great form themselves, but Everton are playing away from home. They'll need to make that trip down to down to London. Fulham do have some solid central midfielders. Zambo and Grisa is a player that I like. Adamola Luckman being a former Everton player and messing up so spectacularly against West Ham before the international point uh, break. Sorry, will have multiple points to prove and would delight in doing that against Everton, his former club. So I think that's one to look out for. On his day, his day's not often enough, quite clearly, and that's why he's not at Everton or Leipzig anymore. But on his day, he can still win you matches, and he could do so on on Sunday if he's given free reign. So they'll have to be careful with him, um, but Everton have to look to, to win this game as well. With Richarlison back, you would imagine... They have the opportunity to do that. Everton haven't won a game without Richarlison, but 
with him, they just look a much, much better side. Like I say, I don't think there'll be massive tweaks, but they should have enough with the quality that they've got to get over that pretty barren run they've been on and record three points. And the table's so tight at the moment, everybody's beating everybody. The table's so tight at the moment that although Everton's fantastic start went to a a slightly average one Mm. before the international break, another victory puts them right back in contention. For, for the top four and, and the top places in, in the uh, in the table. When you start to string back-to-back wins together, two, three, four consecutive victories, then you put yourself in the in the picture. You really, really do. And I look at this block of games now. If they've got Fulham away, then it's Leeds at home. Um, trying to rack my brains for the final one there. It's Burnley away um, on the 5th of December. As a three-game block, I know two of them are away from home, but that's a big opportunity. None of those sides are conventional powerhouses in the in the Premier League for, for all their merits, and I think Leeds are a good team. But for all their merits, Everton should be looking to, to pick up six to nine points from these matches, nine points in truth. And then if they do get that kind of total, then obviously they're going to set themselves up very well for what is quite a painful-looking <laughs> Festive period, if you if you're being honest, they need those points in in the in the bank before they face Chelsea at home, Leicester away, Arsenal at home, United in the Carabao Cup as we mentioned earlier, Sheffield United away on Boxing Day. Can you imagine how cold that will be, be if awful. I'm moaning about if I'm moaning about Liverpool in in kind of mid November? One for Greg. Greg's obviously <laughs> off at the moment and he's enjoying enjoying himself. I, I hope, but he yeah, let's let's put Greg down for that one and then. Obviously, Manchester City 28th and, and West Ham on the second. So a lot of kind of tricky opponents in that run. Everton needs to, to get some points on the board just to just more than anything to keep pace and to, to get that momentum back that they, they found in the early part of the season. It is a tough run, but you think over the next six weeks before we get to that point at Christmas, most of the teams above Everton in the table, Southampton and Villa aside, are going to be playing twice a week um, mm. with European commitments. So that could be something that works in Ancelotti's favour, having to rotate less than these other teams? Yeah, I think it will do. It's only when we get to that run of fixtures around Christmas where he'll need to properly rotate when the Carabao comes back on on December the 23rd, kind of onwards, really. What's really screwed Everton recently has just been the extent of the injury list and the extent of the absentee list. So... Not only were you missing Richarlison and Hammers and Seamus Coleman, but for a while, Mason Holgate too, Gabamin, Delft's been out. They've just had so many injuries and Luca Dean suspended. So many players that you consider to be absolutely vital to their hopes, like the four or five best players on paper in that starting lineup. And I think if you if you strip any side in the league of their four or five best players, you will see a marked drop in performance, even if even if results stay okay. Take De Bruyne, Aguero, Laporte, Sterling and, and one other out of Manchester City. Are they are they the same side? I don't really think so. Maybe Liverpool are slightly better place to cope with that and it will still churn out results, but even they are not quite the invincible side they looked last season. So Everton have been a bit unlucky, but I think what you have to say is that this season, because of the really particular circumstance and how cramped the fixture list is, this is a season where 
sides that have good depth really come into their own. Sides that have two players for every position and quality players for every position. What we see at the moment with Everton is that they've improved their first 11 and their first 11 is pretty much good enough to compete with anyone now in the league on their day. But when you scratch a little bit below the surface, when you take out a Richarlison or a James uh, or even a Seamus Coleman, they're not quite the same outfit because of the replacements they, they're able to draw on. And that's got to be the slight worry because this, like I say, that this feels like the season where you get everything you can do out of your fringe players. And and so far, I don't think too many of Everton's have, have stepped up and taken their chance this season. Mm. Well, look, we've 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 gone through all the questions, but actually, I wanted to ask one myself. Um, so, what I was going to say is uh, that mint green third kit is that the best Everton kit ever? Oh, it's a, it's amazing, oh. isn't it? I, I absolutely love it. You put me on the spot there, and I was wondering what was going to come. <laughs> I'd not not prepared for it, but yeah, that it is. It is an amazing kit. It's a, it's a lovely, lovely shirt. I actually, I'll be, I'm, I'm I'm not on commission from Hum, Hummel here. But I actually do like all of the the Everton kits. I really like the goalkeeper's kit, the um, the, the black one with with the gold um, lettering. I think that's a, a really smart kit, and and actually could have been put to better use as as a second or third kit for the uh, for the side. They're all nice kits, but it, it was funny when James Rodriguez joined Everton. Everton did one of those behind the scenes. This is what happened when James signed kind of videos mm. that. You see all clubs churn out now on their YouTube channels. And there's a funny interaction between James and his translator, the guy that Everton use pretty repeatedly for South American players because he speaks Spanish and Portuguese. And you can see him, James, James Ducori and Alan were all doing their photo shoots. They were all taking pictures with the new kits, all three of the new kits. And you can see James at one point in that third strip you're talking about the what they class as seafoam green, which <laughs> is marketing speak for green or mint green. <laughs> if we want to yeah. go slightly further and just cut out a bit of the, uh, the the marketing speak, you can see him at one point saying, "Effectively, I can't remember what the exact quote was, but this is this is lovely. This is a this is a really nice strip." So yeah, I I, I agree with you there. I, I like them all. Have they worn it um, yet? The mint green one. They have, and it's now tarnished forevermore because they oh, the first time no. they wore it was against Southampton, and they were abject as as we as we now know, and that's a shame, really. I, 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 I you don't want to see that with nice kids, do you? That's really, really superficial. Um, but Hummel, Hummel have done a good job this season, and I'm, I'm excited to see what they they do next because maybe a little bit straight laced, maybe a little bit up and down, and not particularly funky for for first kits, but. They've got things off to a good start with Everton. Merchandise is flying off the shelves and most of the kits now are comfortably the best performers for Everton in, in the history of the club um, for sales and stuff like that. So you're not the only one, Tom, that, that likes them. I'd just like to see Everton win a few more games in all of them. Hamill do a great <laughs> job. All the kits that they, you know, they do a lot of the lower league teams and they're all really nice. They're proper kits. Yeah, there was a Coventry one. Yeah. There was a Coventry one maybe last season, which was which was ace. They obviously do Denmark because they're a Danish brand. Or they, they started out as the a The 80s brand. team, wasn't it? That they uh, started the, with, I think. The 80s team. And they, they've got an interesting pedigree. They obviously, they, they did Real Madrid back in the day, Aston Villa, famous sides that won trophies at that time and um, Alan Ball the Everton Great War White Hummel Boots for a while so there's a, there's a connection 
Hummel, I've got a connection not, not only with football and, and English football, but also with Everton to some extent. And I've made, like I say, a, what I consider to be a, a really good start. Ultimately, though, if it's going to be remembered as a great Everton kit, then Everton actually need to do something in it, don't they? They need to win something or they need to do something kind of even more remarkable than, than lifting a, a domestic cup competition. So, so let's see how it goes. Um, that remains to be seen, I guess, doesn't it? Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Hello, I'm Ian McIntosh, and despite literally spending months of my life playing football manager, I'm still terrible at it. That's why I'm launching The Football Manager Show, the latest podcast from The Athletic. Every week, I'll speak to the people who know the game best, the people who make the game. We'll take a proper look at things like training, recruitment and tactics. We'll try to answer your questions. We'll do everything we can to keep you eager to play just one more game and altogether less inclined to quit without saving. The era of Cherno and Tonton and dear sweet Michael Duff is over. The new football manager is bigger, better, more challenging than ever. And I need some help. If you do too, you can subscribe now. Just look for the Football Manager Show by The Athletic, wherever you get all your other podcasts. It starts in November, and knowing my track record, I'll be unemployed by December. Well, thanks for all of your questions. It's been a really interesting show. I appreciate you getting in touch to discuss all things Everton. Thanks to Tom for joining me this week being a very able substitute for Greg O'Keefe. I'd say the the Richarlison, Tom, you're the Richarlison to Greg's Bernard. You, you've you come in, you've cemented your place, and he's going to find it difficult to, to win his back. So thanks to Tom for joining us. We'll be back with the next episode of Glad Tidings at the same time next week. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.